There are 13 commands in the New Testament that you could do an entire series around. Uh, they're called one another commands. Uh, and you could basically live your entire Christian life just around observing those 13 commands. And there's, there's a lot of them. Um, there's uh, be devoted to one another, uh, Romans 12.10. Be of the same mind toward one another, uh, Romans 12.16. Uh, love one another. Uh, stop passing judgment on one another. That'd be a hard one right there, right? Uh, accept one another, uh, greet one another. And I didn't finish out the rest of that sentence. I think that's the one that says greet one another with a holy kiss. I didn't throw that in because I don't know what that means quite yet. I think that was a cultural thing. Um, but it's just be friendly, right? Uh, serve one another, bearing with one another. Well, that's a hard one because sometimes it's hard to bear with each other, isn't it? Are you married? Yeah, anyway, moving on. It's too convicting. Uh, be kind to one another, submit to one another, forgive one another teach and admonish one another, because uh, we are sinners that need to know how to live. But then if you follow Paul's uh, letters, uh, those commands, and how the books are laid out in the New Testament, uh, they culminate in 1 Thessalonians 5, uh, 11, which says, and we'll eventually get there, um, he says, encourage one another. Uh, encourage one another and build each other up. So that, th those are your uh, marching orders uh, from the Lord, how to live the Christian life, in case you're ever wondering what's a Christian supposed to do, those 13 things. Uh, and uh, we want to talk today just about the importance of encouraging one another. Uh, that's the motif he opens this book with uh, as he encourages this church, uh, and he's going to get more into it today. Um, you show me a church that's effective in the culture uh, that people want to go to, and they're excited when they go there, and I'll show you a church that's encouraging, not discouraging. No one's going to show up if it's discouraging, uh, but when you come and you are built up and not blasted, you're going to feel uh, equipped to go back out into the world, and you're going to be excited about it. Uh, that's a mature church, and that was the Thessalonian church. And I would, I would submit to you, that's our church. Uh, it is a church. Thank you. One person is convinced. Thank you, Wayne. <laughs> so, yeah, God bless you. I'll take you to lunch later. So, um, but, but that is the kind of church that we have. I mean, I, you know, when I did the man's retreat, you were there. And it's just that, it's that camaraderie, it's that building each other up. Um, you know, calling sin, sin, but, but loving the, the person to help them grow up. Uh, and that's that admonishing and encouraging so people grow. Uh, that uh, tells us we're a lot like the Thessalonian church, which uh, Paul uh, is going to extol greatly here in these opening words. So uh, I would submit to you, like, did you up your game last week in encouraging? I mean, did you think about it? Uh, and because that's what uh, we're going to call you to do again today. So the, the main idea from this text is building up believers by focusing on their gains, not their losses. It's easy, especially in the D.C. culture, to pick people apart, to tear them down. Because we all have weaknesses, we all have clay feet. But Paul says, when I think about this church I planted and the fact that you guys experienced great persecution, but then held on to your faith and were a great light, I just, I just got to thank God for people like you. And so he builds his team up, as it were, while he's in Corinth writing to them. And so we want to review what he said to them, in case you weren't here last week. Uh, how do you go about being an encourager? Uh, number one, you mention their place in your life. You actually tell them, when I think of you, I thank God for you. And when's the last time you told another Christian that? Encouraging. Uh, number two, he says, mention their performance. Actually give specifics as to why you thank God for them. Not just a, a big, broad, I thank God for you, but here are three things of why I thank God for you when I think about you. Um, and then number three, mention their position. And um, this is, they're chosen of God. Uh, they are elect of God. Uh, and it is a mystery how that all plays out. We have a free will, yes? Some of you do. 
we have a free will, and, and God elects and chooses. They're both in Scripture. How do those two things relate logically in a consistent way? I don't know. Uh, it, it is a mystery. We talked about that last week. Uh, and we can't take our understanding of our dimensionality with its limitations and place them on God's dimensionality uh, and expect him to perform like we do. We have no clue. I think you are going to be absolutely shocked and high-fiving everybody when you finally arrive on the shore of heaven. And you're like, yes, I get it now. But a lady did stop me after the service, second service last week and said, okay, I'm totally confused now. Uh, join the crowd. <laughs> Anyway, we're moving on. But, but to tell another Christian, you are chosen of God when he didn't have to choose anybody in his holiness. The fact he chose anyone to be in heaven is total grace and mercy. Thank him for that. Thank him for that. So we're moving on to, to other things we can wrap our minds around. Uh, number four, what should you do to become a, uh, a builder, not a blaster? Uh, mention their pattern. Notice what Paul says. He says, you also became imitators of us. That's the missionary team uh, composed of uh, Silvanus and Paul and Timothy, you became min- uh, imitators of us uh, and of the Lord, uh, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So, how important is Greek? Very. 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 Thank you. A correct answer is very important. Uh, and sometimes you read it and you're like, oh yeah, that makes, that. I totally see that. Uh, you don't see it in the English text, you do in the Greek text. Uh, there's a connecting, uh, uh, coordinating conjunction here, it's word chi. Uh, where he says, uh, and you also. But the word you here uh, in Greek, the personal pronoun, is uh, placed out of uh, the sentence order at the front of the sentence to make it emphatic. So he's, just, he's not just not saying, you became imitators of me and the Lord. He's going, whoa, you really did. Blows me away, he says, that you, that you followed my example when I followed Christ, and then you followed Christ himself. Uh, the word here for imitators uh, in, in Greek, and uh, this is why it's easy to memorize some uh, Greek words. This particular word, um, mimites, is the word w- from which we get our word mimic. M- you know what mimicking means, right? Yeah, and so, so mimicking means you're looking at something and trying to copy that. And so if you're, uh, if you're a painter, you're mimicking what you're seeing to try to put it on the canvas. Uh, you know, if you're playing sports, uh, you know, you're trying to mimic somebody that's really good at something. So he says, you, you mimicked my spiritual walk and you mimicked that of Jesus. And he said, I, I commend you from that. Um, that's the order in which he says it. You mimic me. So is it wrong to mimic another Christian? No, no, provided they're following Christ. And this is a huge responsibility. Uh, in fact, my, my job or any job as a pastor is a huge responsibility because you live in a fishbowl. I mean, I can't even get gas and there's somebody at, in the gas line that's like, hey, Pastor Marty. I, I told my wife I couldn't do any crime or anything. There would be a church person there. <laughs> I, I mean, I've been at grocery stores where they gave me too much money. And I've, you know, I'm like, should I just keep it? Should I walk out? And then when I return the money, the guy in the next, this happened to me here at Safeway. Guy behind me is like, hey, Pastor, I'm glad to see you do that. I'm like... Oh my Lord. It's like the Holy Spirit's everywhere. So you got to live this consistent life. Isn't it hard to live? It's hard to live a consistent life. Why? Because we have clay feet again. And, but he said, you followed my example. And so if you're a leader in this church, small group leader, Sunday school leader, I don't care who you are, uh, people look to you to go, is that how you live the Christian life? So what you don't want in your life is hypocrisy, which kind of runs amok in our city. But you, you don't want hypocrisy, you want consistency. And so he says, you followed me, and you also mimicked Christ. Uh, how do you mimic Christ? Simple, you study him. I've been studying Jesus my whole life. That is the Christian life. 
How did Jesus respond when he was insulted? How did he respond when people didn't like him? How did he respond when he's tired at the end of the day? And then, then go and do that. that. That's mimicking him. So they, they mimicked Paul and they mimicked Christ. And what they did uh, in mimicking them was when they were personally attacked by the culture, the Jews who were jealous that those Jews became Christians, and the Gentiles who were mad that the Gentile pagans became Christians, uh, when they belittled them, mocked them, uh, maligned them, ostracized them, uh, canceled them, those Christians didn't buckle. And they were happy about it. Shocking. So you have to stop and ask yourself, when, not if, I am opposed for my faith, will I do it with a joyous, hopeful tone or not? Because that's exactly why he commends them. Because that is the model of Jesus, isn't it? John fifteen twenty, Jesus says this. Remember that, that word that I said unto you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, which they did, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. So Jesus tells you, when you become a Christian, expect persecution. Isn't that comforting? <laughs> yeah, why'd you become a Christian? It's easy, street man, all the way to glory. Uh, we need to talk. Uh, because Jesus said, uh, if you are mine, uh, Christian means little Christ, um, then your behavior, your character is going to begin to mirror his, which is then a problem to said culture uh, who doesn't like Christian character. Second um, Timothy chapter uh, 3, verse 12, Paul's last letter to Pastor Timothy and to us is this. And indeed, all, no exceptions, who desire to live a godly life in Jesus Christ will be persecuted. So if you choose to make a stand uh, and, and stand up for truth, stand up for, even in our culture, that which is just logical, you stand up for that which is natural law, spiritual uh, word, uh, expect opposition from said culture. It just comes with the terse. He says um, that these people uh, understood tribulation. Uh, the Greek word tribulation, uh, the Greek word is thlipsi, uh, and it means to put something in a situation where it's pressurized so it can be crushed. So if you are a, a man with a workbench and a, and, a, um, and a vice, or if you are a woman that uh, likes to cook and you've got um, uh, one of those clove crushers, you know what I'm talking about? And you put a whole bunch of cloves in there and you crush it, uh, that's lip side. Because uh, what's happening to the cloves? They're getting smushed. So you can make spaghetti or whatever you're doing. But uh, if you're a man, you got that vice. I have one on the end of my bench. I use it all the time. What guy doesn't want to like crank down on that thing? It's a, every time you do it, Think theology. <laughs> this is thalipsi. You know, and what is it? You're putting something in there to hold it tight, and, and, and you could crush it when you, when you put it in there. Isn't that what persecution's like when you're persecuted? It's like you're put into this vice, and you're being crushed because you're not fitting in with society. Uh, there was a hockey player this week, uh, Ivan uh, Provorov. What'd he do? Have you, do you read the news? He's a Russian Orthodox Christian young man, and he's told to wear pride regalia uh, prior to the game and uh, fit in. What'd he do? I'm not, no, I'm, no I, I respect you, but I, no, I, my choice is to not do that. Uh, how'd that go over for him? Not good. I mean, but you got to look at Ivan and go, hey, gutsy young man, because a Christian's not supposed to fit in with the culture, with what the culture's doing. You're supposed to be the light to the culture. And he's like, uh, hey, I came here to play hockey, not to advance an ideology. Uh, and so now, you know, I listen to sportscasters this week castigating him. He should be put in re-education classes and all this kind of stuff. And I'm thinking, no, he's educated all right. The word of God has educated him and God has educated him. Uh, but they're hurling all kinds of evil names at him and everything. So it doesn't take long to get persecuted, does it? 
So if somebody tells you something like, oh, we are all about equality and equity, that sounds so beautiful. But you know the world doesn't work like that. Because in God's, God's, God's eyes, we're all created equal, are we not? We all are. No matter what our race is, we're all created equal. But equal outcomes? Serious? There, there's no way the Bible teaches that. And if, and if the Bible teaches that, why is Jesus handing out rewards when we see him based on how hard you ran after him? It doesn't logically even fly. Some people are just better than others, like 49ers are better than... But, but anyway, um, <laughs> just saying. But it's just things like, it doesn't take long to all of a sudden you're persecuted. They're calling you names, etc. So Paul says, I commend this church because when they were persecuted as new Christians, they did not buckle. They were joyous about it and met it head on. Why were they persecuted? This is a whole series, but why were they persecuted? You probably sum it up in uh, Christ's words in John 3, 19. Here's what Jesus said. This is the judgment that light is coming to the world. That's Jesus. Uh, the man loved darkness rather than the light. Why? Their deeds are evil. They're, they don't want their deeds seen. They want those deeds hidden. Uh, but there, here came Jesus, the essence of all moral spiritual light. And no wonder they attacked him. So Jesus said, if they attacked me, they're going to attack you. Because if you are for the light of truth, well, they're going to come after you. That's what they did to Paul. Now, Paul just came over from Philippi. It was about a 100-mile walk. Imagine the shape these guys were in. You know, they couldn't call an Uber in Philippi. Uh, you know, here comes a camel five miles an hour. No. I mean, they, it took 100, 100 miles. And he just left Philippi because he was preaching the word there. Then they came up on this young slave girl who had a demon in her. And she had the ability to do divination, which means she could foretell the future, but not her. It's the demon who's speaking through her. And, and her handlers are making money off of her. And she's basically harassing Paul the whole time he's in Philippi. So Paul finally gets fed. Read the story. If you think the Bible's boring, read it. Paul gets fed up with her and just turns to her, casts out the demon. She's back in her right body mind uh and no, now she can't she can't make any money anymore so her handlers get all upset they turn paul over to the authorities they strip paul and silas they beat them these then they throw them in a prison and what is most amazing is Acts 16 verse 25 they're in the inner sanctum of the prison and it says about midnight when most people are asleep paul and silas were doing what praying and this is the interesting part and singing hymns of complaint to God. Uh, no, it didn't say that. They're singing hymns of praise to God. And notice the next clause. And the prisoners in the other cells were what? Did you know people watch you when you're persecuted for your faith? How you respond, they're watching you. Are they a complainer? Or are they joyous about being persecuted as a, as a Christian? Uh, they're singing. <laughs> I wonder what they were singing. And I was thinking to myself this week, it's like, what would be your go-to song? And are you a singer? Does God care if you're on key? Yeah, he does. Uh, no, but uh, Matthew chapter 5, notice what Jesus said. Uh, this is where Paul and Silas got their, their gumption from. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men cast insults at you and persecute you, say all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of me. Rejoice and be glad. Happy. Why? Your reward in heaven is great, for so persecuted the prophets were before you. You stand in a long line of Christians who were opposed for their faith, just smiling and, and, and be joyous about it, because God's in control of even the persecution. But when you see him face to face, he will say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. So I go back to, I wonder what they were singing. So I go back to ask you a question. What would you be singing? 
What would be your, what would be your song? Do you have a song? Amazing, Amazing Grace. Grace. I mean, yeah, that, that's a great one. That's it? One song? What would you, what would you say, brother? Yes. And Can It Be? Yeah, I love And Can It Be. Oh, yeah, it's another great song. What else? As well with my soul, yes. This is the day the Lord has made. Yeah, uh, I was thinking about it. Uh, my sister before Marla, before when she was dying from uh, three forms of cancer, ovarian cancer, she was a professional singer uh, and musician. And uh, when uh, she was uh, comatose and not talking to anybody, she broke into singing. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine, heir of salvation. She was purchase of God born of the spirit, washed in his blood. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my savior all the day long because she knew she was going to see him any moment. And she was singing. And my mom said, you could hear her down the hallway, her great alto voice. What would be your go-to song? And if you don't have a go-to song, uh, now it's time to get one. Because if you live for Christ, you're going to be persecuted. And instead of getting upset that they're opposing you say thank you lord that i can be that i can represent you and may i do it well uh verse seven he says so he says you became an example to all the believers where in macedonia in achaia for the word of the lord had sounded forth from you and the word is a trumpet is, is a sound of a trumpet and i think that if i remember correctly uh, i don't have my greek bible this morning i think that's a perfect tense which means it continually sounded their example uh um not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but it also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth so that we have, as the missionary team, have no need to really say anything. For they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you and how you turned from God to idols to serve the living and true God. You guys blew our minds. We came there, spoke for three weeks. You, you became believers. You left the lights on, <laughs> off. <laughs> yeah, we... Just as a side note, we had huge issues this week with one of our main boxes that controls everything. So if it really does all go out, uh, that's why. So uh, anyway, go back to the sermon. If I can. What was I talking about? Uh, their example. Everybody knew about their example. So I, I think I have a, a chart. Uh, again, what would a service be without a map? So uh, in case you don't know where Achaia is. So uh, Philippi, Thessalonica, Paul's down here. Uh, in Athens, riding up here to Thessalonians. Uh, but he said, wherever I went in Macedonia and wherever I went in Corinth, all around this region, everybody knew about your faith in the middle of persecution. Now you think about the logistics of this. He plants the church. They kick him out of town because they want to kill him. He runs to Berea. He then goes down to Athens. From Athens, he goes to Corinth. He sends Timothy back up to Thessalonica to see how they're doing. And in the meantime, when he gets to Corinth, he lands there, and he's already hearing stories about the great faith of the Thessalonians. How'd that happen? It was a port city. Sailors would come in and go, hey, what's going on in this city? These people seem excited. Yeah, they, uh, they, they've left paganism, and they, they've embraced Jesus the Lord. Who's that? And then sailors would get saved. they jump on their ship. they sail down to Corinth, and they tell everybody in Corinth, what's going on in Thessalonica? See, when something great's happening, it's like a great restaurant. You know what I'm saying? You don't need to advertise because if something great's going on there, everybody just finds out about it. And that's what Paul said. Wherever I went, I heard about what an example you're, what kind of example? Because you stood for the gospel of Christ in a culture that was arrayed against you. You didn't waffle, you didn't bend, you didn't cave, 
and you've led many people to the Lord and everybody is seeing it and it's just, it's mind boggling. You have to stop and ask yourself, am I a model for other people? The word for uh, example is uh, typos, Greek. Uh, and it means, according to one Greek grammarian, uh, the model could mean various things, uh, such as an example or a model that would be used to produce clay pots or a relief carving or painting that represented not only one depicted, but also the person's character. So you could model a clay pot and build your own or model someone's character, but they were a type of what it meant to follow Jesus. So when they're opposed, they bless their persecutors. They live for Christ. They shared the gospel. And Paul says, wow, I cannot believe how fast your faith has spread. You know, when I think about our church, because I have to think about our church quite a bit, is what kind of church are we, are we and what kind of church do we need to be and where do we need to improve? Constantly thinking about those things. God, I have to give account to God one day uh, of how well I shepherded that church. Was it biblical? So what is a biblical church? It, well, a biblical church is an encouraging church. And it's where saints, when they are persecuted, that they step up to the plate uh, and they bless and they have joy and compassion for those who are arrayed against them and they pray for them and they model Christ and they preach the gospel. And that's, that is our church. And I'm, I'm also here to tell you, I think based on, oh, this is a whole other sermon series, but um, I think with what's going on in our culture, that difficult times are coming to the church. They're going to come, and I'll talk about more of this when I get to my State of the Church address on February the 5th, but more difficult times are going to come for the church, but that's okay, because the gates of hell are not going to prevail against the church of Jesus Christ, and we are the type of Christ to the culture, and we have that kind of church, but... When it gets more difficult, well, it's the old sports term. When the going gets rough, cowboys get going, right? I mean, so it's that kind of thing. When the going gets rough, you know, the tough get going. And that's, that's Thessalonian, Thessalonian believer. They were like that. And I can see that in us. Uh, and God, I think, will require more of us uh, in the months and years ahead. So what kind of saint are you? Are you this kind of saint? And lastly, if you want to encourage people, mention their purview. What does purview mean? It means it's outside the zone of what I know. Um, I got in my car yesterday morning. Uh, it's a, it's a, a Volvo S80, S80. It's black. It's low to the ground. I know I probably won't be able to get in it when I'm older, but now I'm still enjoying it. Um, but when I got in it yesterday, I'm like, it looks lower than normal. Uh, started up to go to an elder meeting at 8 o'clock, and I'm, morning light comes on. Tire issue. You know, I'm like, serious. So I get out and walk around the car, and I front passenger side is on the ground. And I'm like, serious? And so I'm feeling around for a nail and the whole inside sidewall blew out. There's metal everywhere. And I'm like, really? Um, so later when I got home from the elder meeting, about four and a half hours later, I jacked the car up and, you know, trying to get the tire off and trying to take it to Costco to switch it. That's my whole afternoon this afternoon, by the way. But anyway, as I'm trying to jack the thing up, I don't ever jack the car up anymore. Uh, and I don't use those little scissor jacks. Like, who invented those things? What happened to big beefy jack you carry in your trunk back in the day? This little tiny thing. And so I'm trying to jack this tire up, and, and I'm sw swinging this thing around and around. The car's going way up, and the tire ain't moving. I'm like, okay, this doesn't look right. So I called Vovo. I'm like, before I get killed, you know, uh, let me video time with you, FaceTime with you, and show you what I'm doing so this, you know, I don't ruin my car. And they told me, hey, you're doing it right and everything. So the point being, how to get that particular car elevated high enough to get that tire off of there is not in my purview. I know theology. Parsing a Greek verb is not going to help me change that. Do you know what I'm saying? I had to call somebody who's in the know and tell them, 
does that look normal? Uh, and they said, yes, just keep, keep jacking. Just keep going. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm doing after lunch today to get that car fixed. But so purview means it's, it's, in, it's in my field. So somebody tells you, especially in DC, I can't answer that question. It is not in my purview. That's like, uh, okay, well then who do I talk to? That type of thing. So, well, what does he say? He says, what, were the, what, what should be in the saints purview? Well, the, the, in their purview was this. They were waiting for his son, Jesus, from heaven, whom he, God, raised from the dead, that is Jesus, in case you didn't know who it was, who delivers us from the wrath to come. In their purview is eschatology. So if you study the scriptures and you think, ah, eschatology is kind of scares me. Uh, no, it's highly, highly encouraging. If you want to get encouraged, study eschatology because the concept that the Lord can return at any moment is exciting. That's called the doctrine of imminency. Doctrine of imminency means that nothing else has to happen for Jesus to come back. Nothing. So think about this. Uh, Philippians chapter four, verse five. Notice what Paul says here. He says, let your forbearing spirit be known to all men. Why? What he said, what's he say? The Lord is near. How long has it been? It's been 2,000 years. You do the math. If Jesus' appearing was near then, where are you now? You better get your act together <laughs> because he's close. So he's, he's near. He's near. Uh, James talks about this too. James, the Lord's brother, uh, says this. Do not complain, brethren, against one another. Well, that's tough. But do it. Don't, don't do that. That you yourselves may not be judged. Why? Well, the judge is standing where? At the door. <laughs> so if you're a complainer, that's just how you roll. You think that's your spiritual gift? That's, that's how you build people up? Like the illustration I gave you from prison last week, the two inmates, the one guy using reverse psychology. Yeah, right. That, that guy, you know, that, that is not a spiritual gift. That is not what you do. And you should get your act together because Jesus is at the door of dimension between his dimension, our dimension. And at any moment he can open it and you don't want to be going, oh, uh-oh. You want to, you be going, yes, Jesus. You want to become Pentecostal? Hands up, everything at that time. <laughs> Not, oh man, I need a couple more minutes. Um, Jesus is right at the door. So Paul says, um, you were waiting for Jesus, his son from heaven, Jesus. This is really interesting. So the scripture is very clear that he's coming back. And it says they were waiting. And waiting, I have to share this with you. I think it's too exciting. Uh, Waiting, I know, I know it's just like a, you know, uh, it's a participle, but he, he, took a, he took a preposition and he wed it to a, a word, which means to remain, meno is the word, and he put ana in front of it, this preposition, and as I've told you before, when you wed, and we staple a preposition with a, with a verb, you intensify the meaning. Now, I remember my, my parents, when I was a kid living in California, when they were going to take us to Disneyland, they'd wait and tell us, because I wouldn't sleep for like weeks. Why? Because I'm waiting, 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 waiting. And then, you know, like the night before, it's like, I can't sleep. I can't believe I'm going to the Matterhorn tomorrow. It's going to be awesome. You know, that's that word. He says, you were waiting for Jesus. It wasn't like, oh, yeah, Jesus come back. Hey, it's cool, man. No, this is like, oh, he's coming. Any time, that's awesome. They were pumped up about it. You have to stop and ask yourself, am I super excited that Jesus could appear at any moment? I don't know. You look at some Christians. I don't know if they're excited. You should be excited. Um, that's what they were doing. But it says here they were super excited because the, the Lord uh, had been raised from the dead. 
Uh, and he said he was going to return, Acts chapter 1, um, Matthew 24, he says he's going to return. But the big question is, like when? Like which return is he talking about? Now that's interesting. So we have a couple of minutes to talk about this, um, two to be exact. Uh, so what exactly is he talking about? Like which return is this? Is this the second coming? I don't think so. Why? Well, because of the following reasons. Why this is not the second coming. Number one, he says that uh, Jesus will deliver us from the wrath to come. Deliver you. The word uh, ruamai in Greek to deliver means to save somebody from acute peril and danger. It doesn't mean to keep somebody safe in danger or safe through danger. So will a Christian go through the tribulation? Answer, no. Why? Because he says you won't. Why? Ruamai means to deliver you from peril. So the Lord's going to take his church out of here as he's going to get to in chapter one or chapter four, verses 13 to 15. And how do we know that? Because of the, the verb he uses. Number two, another major clue is found in the word uh, ek or from. He says that he's going to deliver you from the wrath to come. From. Prepositions are important. If he wanted to say he's going to be with you through the tribulation, he would have used the preposition dia which means through. He didn't use that preposition. God's very exact. He used the preposition ek, which means to take something out of something. So if he's going to deliver you from peril and he's going to do it with the preposition from the wrath, he's going to save you from it. So you will not be in that time of wrath, not, not designated for the church. Third clue, rest in the concept of the phrase, the wrath to come. He delivers you from what? The wrath to come. Articles are important. The wrath, not a wrath, the wrath. So this is like the monadic use of the article, the one and only, like the moon. There's only one of those where we are. Uh, this is like the wrath of God. Uh, the word wrath, there's different words in Greek for wrath. Um, there is a thumos, which means explosive anger. Someone cuts you off in traffic, you got the picture. Bless you, hallelujah. That, that is not what you're doing, right? And hopefully you don't have a BCC sticker on your car. So, but, but it, thumos is like instant anger. Uh, that is not this word. This is orge. Orge is like a coal mine fire. Burning for 20, 30 years. And every once in a while, it pops out and burns everything. That's this word. It's a slow brooding kind of anger that then consumes. He says, he comes to deliver you from the wrath to come. But what wrath is that? Well, that's the second, that's that, the Jesus that's the seven years of tribulation. That's the time of the wrath. How do I know that? Well, I went back and I read the book of Zephaniah in the Old Testament. Uh, here's what it says. Remember the word orge, wrath? Uh, near is the great day of the Lord. Near, this is back in Zephaniah's day. Near and coming very quickly. Listen, the day of the Lord. In it, the warrior cries out bitterly. He goes on to add, it's a day of what? Wrath is that day, a day of trouble and distress, a day of destruction, desolation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Uh, and I won't continue to read all of it. You know, the, the whole cosmos is going to go into total disarray. Just read Revelation 6. The day of wrath. Which word do you think they use in the Greek Septuagint? Uh, the Greek version of the Old Testament, which is Hebrew. The word they use here in the Greek Septuagint is orge, which is what Paul talks about. Don't you think Paul knows the Old Testament? Sure he does. He knows Greek and Hebrew. He could have chose, chose Thumos, but he chose Orge. Why? Because Paul knows the day of wrath is a day of judgment. Daniel's 70th week, that last seven-year tribulation. And he says, Jesus is going to save you from that. So if you were to ask me, do I think the church is going to be here for the tribulation? No. 
Why? Well, he specifically says he saves you from the day of wrath. And we all know what that is when you study the Old Testament, what that is. So think of it this way. Uh, I'll close with this. D. Edmund Hebert, a great New Testament scholar, says this about uh, this verse. He says, in 1 Thessalonians 1.10, the Thessalonian believers are pictured as waiting for the return of Christ. The clear implication is that they had a hope of his imminent return. If they had been taught that the great tribulation in whole or in part must first run its course, it's difficult to see how they could have been described as expectantly waiting Christ's return. They should have rather been described as bracing themselves for the great tribulation. Isn't that just profound? Isn't that the truth? If Jesus, if I told you today, the tribulation is going to start this Friday, it's going to be seven years of unbelievable cosmic judgment. Awesome, exciting, praise God. Would that be encouraging? No, not really. And it ends in seven years and Jesus appears. Seven years of tribulation. How would that be encouraging? Wouldn't be. So what would be encouraging? God's coming for his church. And when he sounds a trumpet and the church goes up, you're going to be there? Because then he's coming in judgment. And that's going to be a whole nother game. The door to his, his grace is open right now. Uh, in, uh, enjoy it by coming to him in faith. Uh, how do you encourage people? Well, you talk about the purview. What's the purview? Jesus is coming to earth again. Are you ready to see your king? I am. I'm excited about it. you. One other is? Awesome. How about you? You excited? Yes. So you have the reasons now to go out and live a life of encouragement to saints about you. And may you do these things. Let's pray. Why don't you stand? God, we give you our lives. And we admit it. We have, we have baggage. Uh, we have sin. May we confess it. Come clean as your saints. Uh, and be renewed by the Spirit to live a life of encouragement based on the things we've seen. May we do them and not just think about them. And may we truly be a great light to the culture. We give you praise and glory for who you are, and we pray for the non-believers in our life uh, that they might come to know Christ through the power of his great gospel. May the Spirit woo them unto you. In Jesus' name.